Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Good morning to you all. My name is Joe. I'm one of the, the pastors here and it's a, a pleasure to be here sharing the word with you this morning. And I'm just, I have a deep anticipation for what I feel like the Lord might do in our midst this morning. And I, hopefully you do too. You know, I think there's something powerful about thanksgiving and surrender. And that's what we just spent the last 45 minutes doing. Celebrating who God is and what he's done in our lives and then surrendering our lives afresh to him as we declare those words. Are, are you feeling like God might be stirring something in our midst? Take a moment and just think if the creator of the universe stepped into your life afresh, the one who knows how every part of your body works, who knows how gravity works so that you get to stand up and walk around, who knows every innermost part of your heart, if that being stopped long enough to say, I see you and I love you and I know you, what would that do to your heart? It's exciting and terrifying in all of those things at once, right? Well, I, I hope that this morning you come with a heart expectant to go, you know, the creator God who holds everything together with the very word of his mouth and the power of his being wants to meet with me. I trust that that's what's been on your mind and on your heart as you come in, because I know that for some of us, we're rushing in with kids everywhere and all that stuff. But underneath, I trust that there's just a stirring anticipation that maybe God's going to meet with me today. And maybe everything that's been the same will start to shift because the power of the risen Christ is with us every time we gather in his name. You know, today we start this new series, it's called The Fireplace, and we're picking up after the Covenant series. Who got here for any of the Covenant series? Yeah, come on, that's awesome. So exciting. How exciting is it that as we enter into this relationship with God, there's this bond of love that he forms together with each of us and so we get to be in this community together and you know like while that stuff's super important it's like the the bread and butter of church is kind of like eating your greens doing that stuff right it's like yeah it's really important we're supposed to love each other even when I don't feel like it yes I'm supposed to be live a surrendered life and give of everything I have to be radically generous that stuff's so important and it's what makes church work but it's not the whole point right it's not the end game It's not the pointy end of what church is about. The pointy end of what we're about as a people is that we become a dwelling place for the Most High God, that the world would see what he's like. Because the ultimate end of everything, the full sum of what will happen when everything is done, is that the whole of creation will worship our God. Discipleship and mission happen where worship doesn't. So the pointy end of all of this is that God would get all the glory. The chief end of humanity is to worship God and enjoy him always, right? That's what we're here for. And so while we've, and I'm the spiritual formation pastor, so I want to build a really nice, strong foundation platform that we can build on. So we did that in covenant. If you didn't hear all of it, get online and, and catch up because what we want to do now is build on that. We want to build something significant on that, something that I feel like is really what we're all about. 
Uh, we've used a, a simple term, the fireplace. But that's come from something really specific. And I want to read you a word that, um, that Pastor John, our senior pastor, got um, last year that's really become formative for our, our church this year. But I really, as you hear it, and as we unpack it this morning, it's not new news. But this is what John, and he spoke this out at our, at our Vision Sunday this year, but this is what he said, and I'll read it to you. What the Spirit has done in bringing the work of Christ in our lives gives us the freedom to enter God's presence and to stop and take in his glory, which changes us. John said, I received a vision that I believe is important for our church. I saw a fire that was like a massive bonfire, a column of fire in the spiritual, but to a point where it could be seen from other countries, not just our city or nation. And this fire was over our church. The fire was fueled by a thick stream of oil coming down from heaven. As it came down, it filled what looked like the brazen altar of the tabernacle, a big bronze-covered fire pit. The fire was traveling partway back up the stream as it came down. Many people were attracted to the fire because they could see it from a long way off. When they came near, it sanctified them from their sin and freed them from the things that bound them and consumed them to the point where they were filled with the Holy Spirit and his mission. Some were coming with torches they carried and they would light their torch from the fire and leave to go back where they came from, even other nations. And I can remember the cry of my heart was that the Lord would again let his eye fall on us. And another worldwide revival, not just of gifts and power, but a revival of sanctified, fire-filled revivalists that would go to the nations. Let's let this hopefully start to stir something in you as I read it. When I asked the Lord, what should we do? I felt like he said, it's only by his power presented by the oil, represented by the oil and fire. But we are to make sure that we build the fireplace of worship and prayer. When I think about what this means for us, I believe the Lord is calling us again into his presence with unveiled faces. Embracing the Father's presence is a really big deal. These aren't just words on a wall, they have to be actions that are prioritized by a hungry people. For us to reach all the potential as a church, we must commit to seeking God's presence so that we are a beacon of light, a fire together for the glory of God. Prayer and worship are going to have to be our priority. I read that and I kind of think, wow, what's possible? Wow, and that idea that to be a fireplace, to be something that's established, that we play a role in setting up a space, but really it's not about us, it's about the presence of God coming and, and resting on that. But in intentionally building a culture of worship and prayer where each one of us individually cultivates a hunger for God, a desire to be with Him, to share the innermost thoughts of our hearts with Him in our prayer life, to, to partner with Him to see what's going to go on in our lives and the world around us. As we start to do that, He is faithful and becomes a working of His glory. And you might think that's, that's pretty cool or that's pretty crazy. I, I'm not sure what to do with that. Well... I want to read you another word that we got a little while longer ago, which you'll probably hear some familiar themes. And this was a word that that Pastor Rick got back in 2001 when we were KBC. And I want to read you this because I think it sets the scene and will connect some dots, I hope, for you. So we were KBC at the time, and so that's what it says in this. And Rick felt like the Lord said this to him. I'm pleased with the accomplishments of KBC for my kingdom. However, I want you to understand that for you to progress further, it now has to solely be my supernatural work. For you have no capacity to produce the outcomes that I now desire for you. 
I want you to understand that you have barely begun to experience my presence and glory in your lives and in my church. I want you to understand that from here on in, only I am to receive the praise, says the Lord. Only I am to receive the worship, the honor, and the glory for all that is achieved. I want you to maintain what you're doing, but to anticipate great expansion in your ministries as you obey my leading. I want, you to, I want to take you to a whole new level of faith and church that you've never before experienced. I want you to be aware, and this is important, I want you to be aware that this journey will be unique, it will be unsettling, and it will be challenging for all in the church, but will be the most exciting journey you've ever undertaken. I desire that the church will have as their consuming passion seeking my face and my permanent presence, both personally and corporately, regardless of what it costs and regardless of what others think, either within or outside the church. This will require a new commitment to prayer, fasting, searching my word, repentance, humility, perseverance, tithing, worship, love, unity, linking with and loving all those outside my kingdom. If you do this, I promise two things that I will dwell in KBC and manifest myself in supernatural, awesome ways. In In that my blessings of salvation, healing, restoration, life, empowerment and anointing will be yours. That my blessings too will be given to you. Will also flow out from the church into the city of Brisbane and beyond, resulting in multitudes coming to faith, being healed, restored, given life, empowered and anointed for service. If you do not commit to seeking my face and permanent indwelling as your top priority, I will pass by and you will founder in this mission because it will degenerate into a man-centered church. I give you Ezekiel 43 and 47 and Revelation 2 and 3 to substantiate this word and provide an ongoing benchmark. Whoa. If you knew... The good news is you're stepping into something that God's been working in for a long time. If you're here in 2001, then the good news is that none of this is a surprise. (laughs) That focusing on his presence, on, on prioritizing an intimate relationship with our God before and above all else, that's our number one thing. Because I think Jesus was telling the truth when he said, if you seek first my kingdom, that place where my presence is, where I have the authority in the domain, if you seek that first, I'll sort everything else out. And I feel like John and Rick and many others have just tapped into that heart of God. But what is exciting and terrifying is that it said it'll be challenging and uncomfortable. It'll be uncharted territory for us. It's really scary to be leading in a place where you're not sure how it's going to go and what it's going to look like. People see other places where God's doing stuff and think that's what it'll be like and they don't like that so they get upset about it here. And We haven't got there yet. We don't know what it'll look like but we just know. But to focus on the Lord and to follow after him with all that we've got. What I take huge encouragement from, which I hope you do too but might also scare the pants off you, is that this is actually not new in the slightest. It's actually not new at all. In fact... This is what scripture talks about entirely. Right back in creation, at the beginning of everything, when the first humans were created, it was about intimacy. Genesis chapter 2, it's about Adam and Eve, the first humans dwelling face to face with God, walking in his presence. No blockages and no brokenness in between. 
Chapter 3, we stuffed it all up royally. That's funny if you've read Peter's letters because we're a royal priesthood. We can royally stuff things up. Come on. Okay. Genesis chapter 2, we walk in intimacy and and we break it and it falls apart. And yet, and yet, the faithfulness of God. He could have just said, you know what, this is over, this deal is done. I gave you the chance. I don't have to give you another one. But because of his great love for us, because he is so committed to those that he's created, because of the love that he has, he didn't leave it there. Just a, a few pages later, if you, if you keep flipping right, we see in Exodus chapter 13, as, as God's people have been in the worst of the worst time, in slavery, enslaved beyond anything, any hope, they've had hundreds of years. They have forgotten how to think like free people, but God steps into the scene and in the midst of delivering them from Egypt, from their oppressors. In chapter 13, it talks about this, this pillar of fire that comes and dwells right at the front of the nation. It's a cloud by day and a fire by night. And we see the the first instance of this Shekinah glory of God, as the rabbis would later call it. And, And he presents himself visibly to their naked eyes. And not only does he lead them out, but once they are out and safe and free, God dwells in his with his visible presence in the center of the camp of Israel. When it says in like the Psalms that God is enthroned in the praises of his people, they remember because that's what it was like. The people would gather, literally gather around and his presence would be in the center. On the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat of God, the throne of the Father. God had always desired to dwell in the midst of his people. It was always about an intimate connection with him. That was what it was always like. If if you fast forward a little bit, the the glory of God stays there and and it it continues to lead the people. And eventually we get to Solomon in 1 Kings and he dedicates the temple, the, the, the building that represents the portable tent that they created for the glory of God to rest in. So they build a building in Jerusalem, the capital city of the nation, and there's this intense and spectacular process of setting aside this space, this amazing temple that was just extravagant. It took them seven years to build, and there's so much gold and all of this stuff. It was really beautiful and an offering to the Lord. And when they dedicated Solomon, there's literally thousands of animals sacrificed. It was the world's biggest barbecue. All of the nation, I'm sure, enjoyed all of that food. There was so much. And they offered it to the Lord. They surrendered what they had. And and Solomon prays this prayer of consecration. And in response, it says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10, and when the priests came out of the holy place, that, that central part of the temple, when the priests came out, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand and minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. God always desired to dwell with his people. Israel, they, they fumble the ball, they drop it, it's all over again. Just a few hundred years after this point, they, the nation has had a civil war and, and there's infighting and then the, the nations surrounding just see the vulnerability and they just swoop in and God says, you've been disobedient to me and I'm using the nations to judge you. And by 722 BC, the, the northern kingdom's just gone. They've been annihilated. They've been taken into slavery. They've gone back to where they were like they were in Egypt. 
The southern kingdom makes it just another 150 years or so. The temple is destroyed. The dwelling place of God seems to be gone. It's like we've lost it all again. It's just like Genesis chapter 3 all over again. And yet God is so good and so faithful. He speaks to his prophets and he says, tell them that there's a day coming where I will rebuild my temple. And Ezekiel gets this vision of this even better than the last one temple where the glory of God fills it, where it floods in and and life-giving water flows out. God didn't forget. And as the people faithfully journeyed on, the remnant held true. We finally find Jesus arrives. And Jesus, the embodiment of all of that, the place where God and man dwelt perfectly, steps onto the scene and sets everything right and makes a way for all of us to come back into intimacy with God. The dove descends on him and it stays on him, the Holy Spirit, and he walks his days in intimacy with God and with humanity, telling us what God is like and showing God to us. And at the end of his life, after he dies on our our behalf, when he gives his life for us, when he's raised to life so that we too would find a new life, and when he departs and sends his spirit, we get to the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens and, and the presence of God comes again. I'll read it to you. On the day of Pentecost, when it arrived, All of the disciples were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This happens. This moment where the fire of God comes back and rests on his people. And the rest of the New Testament is kind of unpacking what it looks like to be these, these kind of these Holy Spirit-filled people. It's kind of like we are the temple of his presence because Paul says that a little bit later on one of his letters. Like, you knew the temple that was in Jerusalem. Well, now you're the temple. And now we're the temple. And Pentecost proves it because the fire of God came and dwelt in the temple again. And so the rest of the New Testament is saying, what is it to be a temple person? What does it look like to be temple people, to be carriers of his presence? And that's all good and fine. And it gets to the very end after everything's done. And we get to Revelation 21 and 22 and we get this picture. The end of the story. Where all the brokenness is dealt with. Where all the disobedience and the rebellion is put away. But God and his Christ take up their rightful place at the center of all things. And we get this picture of a city with God and the lamb, the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb, which is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. And they're dwelling together in the center of this city. And it paints this picture that you will not need any light because the light comes from them. You don't need a temple anymore because they are the temple. There is this intimacy with God and humanity restored. That's the picture. So this present stuff wasn't our idea. This present stuff wasn't something new. It's what God has desired all along, right from the start. Where we run into problems, I think, and I'm indebted, uh, you probably don't get this too often, 
But in your area of expertise, whatever you do when you're not here on a Sunday, you know those moments where you hear someone else who does what you do and you think, man, they did that a lot better than me? Being a preacher is a tough gig. <laughs> you know how many podcasts and videos you guys have access to of world-class preachers? It's like, I ch- so I fell foul of listening to someone this week and thought, he said that so much better than I could. <laughs> so I'm indebted to a guy called John Tyson, an Aussie guy from Adelaide who ministers in the States now. But he, he was unpacking something a little similar to this, but he made this point and I think it fits perfectly where we are and probably where maybe for some of us we find this rub and this, this disconnect with this idea of presence and what we see, we think that the church should be about. Because he, as, he, as he told the story, and I've done enough church history to know he's, he's right, is that where we sit today, we've kind of forgotten the beginning and the end of the story. And it's not really our fault. You see, there was a time not that long ago in the 1800s where European theology really grew and it became very, very liberal. We're not really, we don't really think that Jesus was really a person. We don't really think he really died. And how could someone dying take away your sins? And so these are great moral stories that help us understand human nature. And this was the, kind of the theological movement that started to grow in Europe. And so there was a reaction to that. Good Bible-believing Christians said, whoa, 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 that's not right. You can't get rid of sin as a real problem. You can't get rid of Jesus as a real person. And you can't get rid of the crucifixion and resurrection as the real solution. You can't get rid of that. And we would all go, right? Yes, we agree. But what happened in the midst of that is no one was debating the beginning and the end of the story. And so we have rallied around Genesis 3 to Revelation 20 because people were questioning the validity of those things. But we've forgotten the beginning and the end of the story. And that's important. It's particularly important, I know this for a fact, because many, many years ago, back when I used to watch free-to-air TV, back when it was a thing, (laughs) back when there was no swipe screens and it was a big, thick tube TV, I would watch this show, I think it was late on on a Tuesday night, I probably shouldn't tell you what it was in the grounds that I may incriminate myself, but a good mate of mine called Harry used to watch the same show. And it was a pretty in-depth show and had long, season-long story arcs that were quite involved and in-depth. And every Tuesday night after it would finish, I'd get a phone call on my landline, (laughs) dating myself, and Harry would be like, what just happened? What's going on? That's amazing. What's happening? And unless you remembered what happened at the start of the story, the episode didn't make any sense. And so, because I loved the big story and he was just so wrapped up and enjoying the moment, I go, well, do you remember what happened three episodes ago? And do you remember what happened at the start of this season? And do you remember what happened at the start of the previous season? And I'd unpack the story back. Because unless we remember the start of the story, what establishes the picture, we don't get the whole thing. And we get worried and we get freaked out and we think that we're not actually majoring on the major thing because we think that the subsequent story points are actually the main deal. But that's not actually true. The way it starts is with presence and intimacy. And where he's taking us is to presence and intimacy. And Genesis 3 to Revelation 20 is where we stuffed it up where he kept hoping, kept drawing us into a way of fixing it till eventually he stepped into it himself to make everything right so that we can get there. 
And so as we come to this idea of a fireplace, of a place for his presence to dwell, as we focus on worship and prayer, these expressions of love and intimacy to our Father who loves us, that's not off topic. We talk about sin and brokenness when it gets in the way of worship. We talk about our dysfunction and our lack of identity when it stops us from praying out of who we are. But it's not actually the big deal. The big deal is Him. It's intimacy with Him. It's an openness of dwelling with the one who knows us better than anyone else, with with no shame and no guilt and no pride and no sin blocking us, causing us to hide and run away. That's the big deal. That's where God's taking us. What I would hope, what my prayer is, and I've been praying for today's service a lot, and I kept coming to places to go, God, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. I want everyone to be here and I want everyone to know you, but it's not about me telling them that. It's actually about you revealing your heart to them. It's about us putting the first things first and putting aside everything else. I'm so stoked that Angie had all these songs about surrender because that's really the way we get there. That we put aside our preferences and our prejudices, that we do what Paul actually wrote about out of his revelation of Jesus, saying that as the Holy Spirit indwells us, it breaks off the things that get in the way of him, and we can, we can with unveiled faces, behold him, setting everything back to how it should be. That's the point. So the next two weeks as we unpack this more, it's going to be, well, what does it mean then to worship out of that place? What does it mean to give him worth as we gather together, as I am a fireplace personally, but as we are a fireplace corporately? What does our worship response to God look like? And what does prayer mean out of that place? Is this just my reaction to my circumstances or am I doing what Jesus showed me to do and I'm praying from his presence? That's what we're going to unpack. And what I find really powerful about that is there's this there's this picture in Revelation chapter 5. And it's, it's after the first bit with all the letters to the churches, which are really significant and, and important and reminders and calls to action and response. But as, as it moves forward, John says, I was taken up. And he's taken to this place where he sees the throne room of God. It's powerful and it's sobering and it's exciting and really hard to understand and there's lots of symbolism and pictures but there is this beautiful moment in chapter 5 and it says this in Revelation 5 chapter chapter 5 verse 6 and as John is seeing the throne room of heaven it says between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing a lamb as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth and he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when the lamb had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each of them holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This prophetic word that the elders 
declare. The elders who are holding harps, musical instruments, and holding bowls of incense, which it says really clearly are the prayers of the saints. We see the, the throne of God, the, the, the risen Christ as a lamb who has been slain, so the sacrifice on our behalf, and around them the human response of everyone is to worship and pray and declare the praises that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ forever. That's what caught my heart. And so I think it's really a significant picture for what the fireplace should look like. As the revelation of Jesus and as he's died for us is revealed time and time again, the sacrifice for our sins and the one who made us be able to live again, as he is revealed and as we know the Father, then our response is worship and prayer and prophetic songs that every tribe and tongue and nation will get to know him, will worship him. Well, you know what's really cool? Today is Pentecost Sunday. Today is Pentecost Sunday. On this day, some 2,000 years ago, 120 or so people gathered in a little room, obedient, waiting, expectant yet confused. Unsure of what would happen, yet obedient to the words of the resurrected Christ as he'd walked through a wall and said, stay, don't go anywhere, pay attention to what I'm doing, because what's going to happen is going to empower you to go. On this day, they waited. They tarried before the Lord, worshipping and praying and waiting, and the Lord met them right where they were. The presence of God came like it had come before, like, like it had come in Exodus and in the temple. Like Ezekiel prophesied, the presence of God descended. And what I think is really important for us to grasp this morning is that the power of the gospel is that Jesus sets us right again, that we can be a dwelling place for God. Like he showed us at Pentecost, like he showed us time and time again throughout the history of the church and beyond, that he is making us a place for him. The freedom and the life that Jesus gives us empowers us to put aside our brokenness, our prejudice, our frustration, our disillusionment, our confusion. He said, trust me and I'll make all this work. The good news means that in spite of our very best efforts at self-sabotage, he still wants to use us. He still wants us to carry his presence. He still wants you to be that person that wherever you walk, the kingdom is with you breaking in. It starts because we prioritize his presence. We let our hearts become consumed with his presence. We become a place where the fire of God can fall in our lives. He made a way for us to step back into that place. What do we do with it? He's never desired to be distant, removed, absent. He's always desired to hold you close to his heart you to hear his voice, to know his presence, 
to feel his love and to show others the same. That's what he's always desired and that's what he's calling us back to. That's where the story began and that's why he gave his life up for us, that we could go back to that place and bring as many people as we can with us. So my challenge to you today, have we opened our lives to him? Have we let the good news of Jesus set us right so that we can become a place where he's welcome in our hearts, in our lives? Are we daily just going, God, I want to be a resting place for your presence? I know that I already am. I know that the truth is that I am a dwelling place, a temple of your Holy Spirit. And I know that when we gather, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. God, am I really paying attention to the fact that you've set me free? Have I appropriated that for all of my life that I will be able to respond, not out of fear and not out of concern and not out of worry, but out of obedience and love for him? Because if we can do that, all the other stuff just starts to fall under his authority. We don't need to worry about it. Are you worried right now? He wants to love you. Are you afraid right now? He wants to love you. Are you offended that we talked about money and time and showing up to church and changing your schedule to reflect what God's best for you is? Are you offended by that? Well, he wants to love you. Are you new and you have no grid for what's going on and you don't know what this guy's been talking about for the last half an hour? He wants to love you. He wants to love you like you've never been loved before. He wants to step into your space right now and pour his love on you afresh. It might feel like fire. It might feel like water. It might feel like oil. It might feel like wind. But God has been pouring his presence out to his people since creation. And today he's inviting you to do the same. Will you respond to him? God created you to be a dwelling place for his presence. And you'll be restless until you allow him into his rightful place. Would you stand as we wrap this up? I want to pray for you. That God would just grab a hold of you. Doesn't matter if you haven't even met him yet or if you've been a Christian for 40, 50, 60 years. I feel like God just wants to grab a hold of us and love us so deeply so radically, so transformationally that we will never be the same. It's the cry of my heart that he just grabs a hold of me and shakes me a little bit to just dislodge some of the dirt that's stuck and it just calls me back to his heart. And I want to pray the same for you. And then we're going to have a time of worship in response. And if you need prayer for that, our prayer team's going to be available. But I ask that today, this Pentecost Sunday, that... You trim your heart, you position your heart, you posture your life to be a place where the fire of God would be welcome to rest. God, this Pentecost Sunday we come before you. God, we thank you that you've blessed us with so much, that you've given us so much. But Lord, Lord, we want to make the one thing the one thing. Lord, you created us to be with you. 
You created us to, to respond to your love, to, to be creatures who know the love of their creator, who desire desperately to have the presence of their father right with them. God, would you come into this place afresh this morning? I know you're with us because we said we love you, that you dwell in each one of us. But God, would you come and do something just, just like you've done in the past? Would you just grab the attention of your people, of your children, of your sons and daughters? Would you grab our attention with your presence? Would you draw our gaze and our hearts and our focus back to you? God, for those of us who already know you, would you stir something in us? Would you remind us of that first love when you caught our attention for the first time, when you captured our hearts, when you took us out of darkness and brought us into light? Would you remind us of that moment and would you fan, fan that flame of our hearts again, Lord? Holy Spirit, I just ask that you'd make us into a place where your presence can dwell. Would you trim us? Would you refine us? Would you prune us? Would you love us? So that our lives reflect a place where you can dwell. Come and be with us, Holy Spirit. Would you come and flood into this place afresh today? We welcome you here. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, Contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.